Welcome back. Another episode of Rhinos and Dinos. This is episode five. And today, Len and I are going to talk about culture and politics, politics and culture, basically how the two are inextricably linked and influence one another. I'm Len Canada. Can we start with culture? Can we talk about Tommy Cutlets? Tommy Cutlets. Tommy Cutlets. Let's talk about culture and how pervasive now being an Italian-American suddenly is once again. First we had the Sopranos, now we have Tommy Cutlets. Have we seen this guy's agent? Oh, yeah. I he, mean, it's made, the, it's made the rounds. He looks like, uh, you know who he looks like? He looks like if there was a video. Okay, it reminds me of, like, you know, Street Fighter, the old Street Fighter right, video games. Right. Like, how they had, like, they took, like, a concept character and then, like, made it over the top. Yeah, right. Okay, like, if there was, like, a, a mob movie or a mob video game, and they had the guy who represented, like, you know, someone in, you know, one of the guys in the, the, the cop or whatever. Yeah. He would be the guy in the video game. Right. It's like, a perfect portrayal. Yeah. It's, it's pretty amazing, actually. This is what I would expect. And, like, I've seen the stuff on Instagram or not. This is what, exactly what I've expected. What's his, here, let's, what's his name? Tommy it's like Cutlet's Sam agency. Stilato, right? Is Stiletto or Stilato, yeah. Agent for Tommy. This is how, this, by the way, this is Tommy how. Tommy Cutlets. This is how everybody. Sean Stiletto. Sean Stiletto, there we go. Let's see what this guy looks like. Let's get like. some images. Let's see what this guy looks like. Go to images. Go back to the Google search and maybe go to images. Well, let's see. I'll type in the right name here. Yeah, because this guy, here we go. Sean Stiletto, images. Yeah, this is the one. This is, this is the famous picture. All right, let's pull this up. Make this a little bigger here. This is it right here. Yeah. That's the agent. Sean Stilato. And he was actually on uh, recently WGN News. Oh, was that right? And um, I think I sent it to you. You have to check your Instagram. And it was the shoes he was wearing. It was the Italian flag. That's he was being interviewed by Pat Tomasulo. And it was it, it, it was just. Oh, I did see that. I didn't I didn't pay attention to the shoes, though, so, but I did see that. I, I mean, so like and then there when you come to the house, I got olives. I got olives. Yeah. But when they um, when they showed pictures of his family tailgating and stuff. They got the like cutlets. the food and stuff. You know what? Maybe, this, maybe the Italians should be more dominant in football. Well, they said that uh, when that video you sent, when you're like, when, he, when they say, you know, someone comes to your house, what do you have? The first thing he said is, like, yeah, maybe we got some chicken cutlets. Cutlets. And I just remember thinking to myself, I was like, listen, I, I like chicken cutlets, but who the fuck just has chicken and cutlets? Of readily available. Yeah, readily available. Is that a thing? Now, if he would have said... Apparently, the grocer in Italy does... That's true, they do. You know, but, but, but yeah, if he said, oh, I have, like, water or cheese. Tommy Cutlets. Tommy Cutlets. So that's culture, uh, you know. But kind of the point we wanted to achieve in this episode was kind of the relationship between culture and politics. Um, one of the things I was thinking about um, is how politics influences culture, culture influences politics, the relationship between the two of them and how we've seen it portrayed. Um, one of the instances I just off the top of my head, is shortly after 9-11, West Wing then did a episode, because West Wing was popular at the time, um, regarding terrorism and stuff like that. So they kind of played into that and how this should be addressed. So it's kind of like, that was a political current event type thing playing right into, you know, culturally what's happening. And then also, what, what was the cultural phenomenon? The guy who murdered his ex-wife in Wisconsin or whatever... It was a Netflix special. Oh, yeah, yeah. I do know that one. Um, And then uh, that was culture. And then all of a sudden, that started to influence politics because then people are like, oh, maybe we need to reopen this trial. People were, you know, kind of looking into it. 
it's kind of like, is there, there's a push and pull between the two of them. Well, well, there is, yeah. And, and, and just for the people, for the folks listening, um, we came up with this. We were, we were just recently in Italy with another uh, good friend of ours. And there's a whole other video on that. There, there will be another video on that. But, but the, how this topic came to be is, you know, we were kind of, uh, dare I say, complaining a little bit when we were there because, you know, a lot of places close midday, midday being like, I don't know, what you, like one to three or something. Yeah. And, and it's because, you know, we've been to Italy before. I've, I've, I've lived there for a little bit. The reason is, is they take siesta. And break that's time. Break time. But it's not like a 15-minute break. It's like a two-hour break. And it's meant to, like, be a nap. And, but, but, but it just shows you, though, that is something that's, that's not... Ingrained in their culture. Right. It's not a law. No, it's not it's like no you way. have to do it. It's cultural. But I'll tell you what. If all of a sudden politicians wanted to outlaw... You know, you could only you you couldn't you know take siestas, right? Because right. there was a commerce play. Not that they could, because it's a private business. You're free to set your own hours. Yeah, but right. like by example, right? Like you see a lot of that with the French too. Is that when government is trying to impose you know lower retirement age or higher retirement ages, age ages, they they they, they protest. Took to the streets, they, literally. Yeah, they shut down they literally stuff. the country. Right. But because that's cultural, like culturally, it, that's not a political question. A question of when should someone retire is it can be a political question because there's obviously policy and, and, and money that goes into, you know, servicing essentially an elderly population that can't work and, and has fixed income and, and has a higher burden on healthcare systems. So it is very much a political question. Don't get me wrong, but it's also a cultural one. Some cultures may say working to 70 is fine. Some right. may say I'm done at 57. Yeah. Right. But that's the interplay between politics and culture. I think it was actually quite different in this country at one time too. What was the retirement age? Yeah, what was the time? retirement age? I almost Let's feel like I almost feel like in the mind it was like sixty was the longest you'd work, or that's when you would pension out, or after your twenty years of working, well, you would have your pension when when companies had pensions or whatever. Now, granted, the life expectancy was I'm thinking uh, a little life, bit less back then. Well, life expectancy isn't too great now. I just saw it's down to seventy three for men, so. 65. We'll never get Social Security. So, you know, you ask yourself, and, and that's the thing with U.S. culture, and, and I think a lot of Western cultures, maybe not so much in Western Europe, but, like, what, what kind of is interesting, if you think about it, you work, okay, retirement age is 65. Generally speaking, you're starting work probably 18, 19, 20, maybe not right. full-time. So you're working 40 years. But you're years. in the workforce. Yeah, you're working two-thirds of your life, right? Okay? Right. You're working two-thirds of your life. Now, if the average age is 73, that means for... for I, I don't know what the distribution is, but that means that, okay, let's say half the people, they get maybe seven years of retirement to enjoy it. So basically, two, two, two-thirds of their life was spent working, and then the other 33%, you had you know maybe 80% of that, like you're a kid, and you enjoy 20%. So basically, you enjoy 20% of your life. Or not even, I'm sorry. You enjoy 20% you enjoy of the, the third. You enjoy the parts that you're a kid. You enjoy about... at the end, yeah. Yeah. So, the middle sucks. Yeah. The beginning's kind of fun. You're learning your way. The end is like, oh, well, wish ever, I did more fun. Yeah, of course. Then. You ever see those happiness curves? Happiness, like, dips in no. middle age. You've never seen a happiness curve? Or I've ignored it. Yeah. I've tried to maintain... This is the happiness curve. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty well documented and empirically researched. It's, uh, a, it's a U curve. So, like... Here, okay, so you got on the bottom here, age, that's on the x-axis, and on the y-axis you have what's 
basically your happiness or satisfaction. You so see, I'm hitting my lowest point of happiness. Yeah, you see it peaks. It, it, it actually dips around 40. But I've always 40. been a miserable motherfucker. Well, yeah, you but know. so you're, 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 okay. So this is, this is what we would say. Your curve shifts. So your right. curve, the curve doesn't change. The position on the graph changes. So your right. curve would actually go down. Right. Right. So like, you know how like, okay, when you're, when you're like 12, you're at like a, what is that? So a I'm, seven? I'm trying to think about the happiness. Someone who's a hundred. Well, because the thing is, you don't give a shit at that age. Yeah. I mean, you really don't. I mean, if you think about it, think about how crazy this is. Okay. What this is saying is that like 12 years old, your happiness is like 7.7, right? You don't get to 7.7 until you're about 80. So that means you have 60 fucking years where you're not as happy as you once were as a 12-year-old. And that's if you make it that Right, right, right. That stings. But now I almost want to say that this whole time, you know, the voting age starts right about here. Right? Yep. 18, sorry. <coughs> Ignore the fingers and stuff. Um, right about here. So basically when you're voting, you're at your least, least happy. happiest. Yeah. Right. Yeah, for sure. Maybe that's why no one votes. No one's happy. Well, how about the fact that congressional approval is, I, like, dare I say congressional, it's not even mer mercurial, it's just fucking bad. It's at, like, 13%. Congressional approval rating, historical, I don't know. Let's see, let's see. It's uh, Oh, 9%. Uh, it's gotten as low as 9%. The highest in October 2001, which we know why, right. that was right after September 11th, was 84%. The lowest was 9%. So I guess it is a bit mercurial, but I think like, his, oh yeah, look, look. Yeah, no, it's, it, 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 there is a bit of up and down, but like if you look at this graph, it's like hovering 15, 14, 13, about 15%, 15%. That's crazy. 15, so, but here's the thing. You look at how many people stay in Congress. All right. Like, okay, the retention rate, especially of the U.S. House reps, because it's every two years, which, by the way, they, they need to change that. That's way too free. You're just basically campaigning. Right, right. Um, it's what, in the 90s? Maybe, maybe not. It's high. Getting back to culture, I, I also want to see that as things are ongoing, how that really plays into TV shows and stuff. Um, whether it was the recent um, abortion debates with the Supreme Court. Yeah, with Texas. Pro-life, yeah, pro-choice. How that's going to play into videos. Also... I want to say, was it The Wire or something? Um, they released a film. The about, Wire, like uh, from HBO? No, nah, not The Wire from HBO. The Daily Wire, is that a periodical? They released a, 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 a movie. Let's see, movie, Daily... Wire. Wire. And it's meant to be a comedy. I'll stream now, Daily Wire. Movies, Daily Wire, I don't know. You'll have to, we'll have to get uh, back I'll have to do it, but it was something about... Guys from a high school basketball team competing in women's sports. Oh, okay, yeah. So, yeah. so essentially, it was one of those. But it's kind of like what was happening in politics is how does it play that into the mainstream culture? How are people reacting to it? Well, that's actually a good a good point. So I, we've said that before. I've said that before. So if you look at the what, what year are we in? Twenty twenty three. That would have been when was Trump almost. Elected? We're almost done. Yeah. When was when was Trump elected? Two thousand twenty sixteen. Twenty sixteen. Wow. That's. That's, yeah, I guess right. it's 26. I was in, okay. So I remember that election uh, distinctly, despite the fact that I couldn't remember the year just now. But one of the things that we were working with clients at the time is, you know, that was a big period where it was advancing LGBT, LGBTQ, 
to T uh, rights. Um, LGBTQIA. Yeah, sorry. I always I always mix up the acronyms, but um, but I just remember at the time thinking there's a little bit of tone deafness by the Democrats because you have all of these people like back in 2016, like the economy was not humming along as great as it was. And so people were living paycheck to paycheck. They were we've said this before, financing dinner with a high interest credit card. And it's not to say that Democrats, um, a Democratic voter does not care about all of the th- things that Democrats as a sort of a national party care about. It's just they, they care about them in different, you know, prior- prioritization lists, if you will. So as an example, me, I'm not living paycheck to paycheck. I'm very, I'm very grateful and I'm, I'm very fortunate. So I can take headspace and think about these things and really say, how do we advance, you know, culturally as a society? Right. How do we become more progressive? But if I'm constantly stressed about money, I don't, not only am I not thinking about, you know, higher order social issues, right. but if anything, I'm now aggravated that you're saying that like, hey, all is good. We need to be thinking about this and you're a bigot if you don't. And it's like, I'm not a bigot. I'm just like literally struggling to pay my bills. Right. I, right? I feel that Democrats have missed the boat on a lot of cultural shifts. Um, or, or if there is a cultural shift, they completely miss focus and they don't know how to play to emotion. The Republicans have always been, fin- and, and really that was Karl Rove too, play to the emotions um, of the average voter. I, I think Democrats are tone deaf. Well, you know, to an extent. I think there's some basic psychology behind it as well. People are, people, I mean, and by the way, this is not even my opinion. It's, it's fact-based, it's empirical-based, it's research-based, it's clinical-based. It, they even have, you know, imaging uh, studies that they've done. People respond to a couple things uh, much better than they do the opposite of those things. And what I mean is they respond to novelty, right. they respond to usefulness, and they respond to negativity. Right. Right. And so I think what the, the, the Republicans have typically done is they've anchored on the negative side of the culture, like, and specifically people's loss aversion, right? You're losing something. Right. You're losing this. They're taking this away from you. Whereas the Democrats have tried to take a more positive spin and said, Everybody is better off. We're progressing as a right. society. And, and, and there's truth to both of those. Right. But the human condition is going to respond. To loss. To, to loss. loss. Absolutely. Right? To loss. Yeah. It's, it's the same. I made a dollar or I lost $5. I'm sorry. I gained a dollar or I lost a dollar. I'm going to have a more guttural reaction to losing $1. Right. Than to gaining one dollar, and and this is this is this is loss. Of, I mean, it's 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 again, it's it's not even opinion, but it, what, what loss aversion is is it's in behavioral economics, but it's also a psychological uh, construct as well. It refers to a phenomenon where real or potential loss, real or potential, that's important, perceived by individuals as psychologically or emotionally more severe than an equivalent gain. So to your point, right? Right. You'd rather not lose a dollar than gain a dollar. Right. Essentially. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, one of the other things about culture and politics is I, I really like to start discussing, and if anyone has any ideas, toss it out there, about how politics has influenced not just movies, but video games, books, inter- forms of entertainment. I, I think it has a profound impact, and it goes back and forth. I remember kind of post-9-11, there was several movies they were playing right into that. 24, the, the show right, 24, absolutely. that was a big it, one. It was playing right into that. Um, the movie Starship Troopers, which was based on a book, 
kind of a pro-war book. You know, I've never, I've never watched that movie. I watched it years ago. But when you see, like, a lot of their uniforms and stuff, the way it was portrayed in the movie, is it evoked kind of a... Is it a good one? Is it worth watching? I mean, it ain't going to win no Academy Award. Well, let's see. I don't think it did either. What did it get on Rotten Tomatoes? Go ahead. I always have to check the check, run. Check, check. Oh, it's not bad, 72. No, it was fine. But when you look at some of the costumes they wore, they were very evocative of Nazi Germany. Like, like kind of the, you know, this totalitarian state. Um, so what was that in response to when that movie came out? What were they responding to? Obviously, they were um, basing the movie off a book previously written. But the costuming and whatever was trying to evoke something different. I mean, if you even look at Star Wars... A lot of the stormtroopers have a lot of that old Nazi Germany type stuff. Interesting, you, I didn't know, that. you know. Storm. And look at like whenever people want to talk about an evil bad guy in a movie or whatever, they're going to dress them like Nazis. Yeah. Like, look, look, look at the boots in Star Wars for the Imperial officers. I mean, that's immediately. Are stormtroopers in Star Wars supposed to be a direct reference to the Nazi stormtroopers? This is a, a on Reddit. Which, by the way, like Google, is where I get all my information. The Googles. Star Wars not is complicated in a... Star Wars is influenced by the Nazis, and it fails to hold them accountable. Okay, so this was in Forward, which is the Jewish independent nonprofit periodical. So, obviously, you know, they're... Right. All news has bias, but whether we admit it or not. Like, but, like, whenever you portray, like, in these types of movies, like Starship, I'm just thinking about that. It's like the uniforms are almost dead ringers. Well, what, what, um, okay, so I, I can see movies. Movies make sense. Right. Books make sense. There's a, I mean, we can probably go on for hours and hours and hours about movies and books and TV shows. <coughs> but I'm curious, what about video games? That one, I, I don't play a lot of video right, games, so right. I don't know. So give, give, give me an example. Give everyone an example here. I'm trying to think. So there was, well, Video games becoming cultural phenomenons, um, like a Fortnite. I don't think I've ever played it. It's one of those first-person online shooters, but it's permeated all aspects. I, I don't think it's fully gone into um, politics, but if you remember way back when, when they would say rap music was ruining the minds of young people... Video games are ruining the minds of young people and all this stuff. And they were trying to, like, put rating systems on everything. I don't think that really went anywhere. I really don't care, to be honest. I mean, the rating systems are, like... It's a scam. Because the rating systems are... It's not as if, like... And I think it's also based on the time. Some are stuff you, uh, that might have been PG-13 oh, yeah, 20 for sure. years ago is now PG. Yeah, for sure. No, no, for sure. But I just pulled up an article here. There are some video games. So they have uh, Rogue State Revolution. This is President. These are some of the more contentious U.S. Ones. Army actually put out a video game. Google that. Or it sponsors a video game. Let's see here. America's Army was a series of first-person shooter video games developed and published by the U.S. Army. Nice little recruitment technique, isn't it? I mean... You didn't know that. I didn't. You're kind of shocked in your processing right now, aren't you? I mean, it makes sense. I mean, you know, like, it, by the way, we've said this before. What, where, where do, so what we've said before is, and this, this also goes back to culture and politics, I think. 
What have we said before is that, like, the so- does the South disproportionately send people to the U.S. military? Like, when we say, you know, like, let's call it the South of the Mason-Dixon line. Where's the, where's the most recruitment offices or whatever? You, you know? So, okay, where, how could, uh, where do the U.S. Army come from by state? I don't know. Terrible. Yeah. Number of, pro- okay, here we go. Yep. No, it's the South. Yeah. It's the South. So this is the number and per capita distribution of troops serving in the U.S. post 9-11. So this is 2019, so it's fairly recent. Yeah, Texas, Georgia, South Carolina, Florida, Alabama. Yeah, it's pretty much the South. I mean, Oregon's got quite a bit. Idaho's got... So basically, it's the red states. Right. And it's really the red states. It's kind of... And there's going to be a more conservative tilt then, obviously, out of that. Actually, Hawaii is number two. Which we, you right. know, obviously there's there's a right big reason. So that the 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 top ten, so the top. But here's what's interesting though, the top ten in terms of pure pure not so nominally speaking, not relatively speaking. Number one is California. Number four is New York. Number eight is Illinois. Number nine is Pennsylvania. Number ten is Virginia. So if you look at it by per capita. It's it the is the south, states, but right. if you look at it in terms of the nominal number of troops, which makes sense because you know right. California's more got people. more people, but it's pervasive than as a means of culture down there. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, and and that goes back to the politics, right? right. Like you, because you know, someone said that. Were we talking about this? Where someone was like, normally you give deference, you know, to the military. It's obviously separate. Right. That's why the president, as a civilian, is the head of the, the right. armed forces, but. We, I feel like the, in this, when, when Vietnam was going on and, you know, maybe uh, to a lesser extent the Cold War, the, the army wasn't as revered culturally as, as it no, is today. No, it wasn't. There was a, we all heard the stories about, you know, the veterans coming home, baby killers getting called, yeah. and whatever. Um, that was probably around the Vietnam era that there was a shift in that reverence. And honestly, it was... I always found that unique because the same people that were protesting the war then were protesting the soldiers. They didn't exactly have a choice. Many of them were drafted. Well, yeah. It wasn't a volunteer army. No. Well, you know. But the other thing is, like, that is not, that that protest, right, that is, obviously, it is ideological by definition, by nature. But the reality is, like, I think culturally reverence for the military was more a Southern thing. Why is that, though? I I don't know. I think it's more pervasive within their culture. One of the clearest examples, though, of culture and politics is the presence of the Confederate flag and these Confederate statues. Culturally (laughs) in the South, there are parts which are, you know, the Civil War is part of their heritage. I think it's just a purely racist thing they're doing. I think it's all bullshit. Their argument's all bullshit. So speaking of uh, politics and, yeah. and movies, so I, I just, for those of you, and I'm going to, this is a podcast, so you can't see me, but I am going to look in the camera for this. For those of you who have not watched The Righteous Gemstones. Fantastic. I, you stop whatever you're doing today. I know there's football on. Fuck it. You don't watch, no one cares about the Vikings. You go wherever you're comfortable in your house, your living room, if you got a little TV, whatever it is. Watch, watch The Righteous Gemstones. It's literally a commentary on the last 40 years of the megachurches. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's not. It's not 50 even. Fifty years of the megachurch. They're not even trying to be subtle no. either. I mean, it's no. pretty, pretty, pretty amazing. It's a fantastic show. But the reason that made me think of it is because in the latest season, one of the later episodes, I think it was episode seven, eight, nine. There, um, th- there's this militia that's part of the, ap- the the story arc for the season, and at the end, there's a mutiny on the head of the m- militia who happens to be someone who's related to main characters. Protesting statues. Protesting statues, exactly. So they want their militia movement to be protesting the people that are protesting, protesting the, the statues. statues, right? And so that is something like, th- and that was by the way, that was a tiny sliver, right? Like that show wasn't necessarily political, to your point. It was a commentary on the megachurches. But, you know, that those little slivers of right. politics and culture, they make sense. It no, fit. It's it just how it interacts. A writer or someone creative throws something in there as a zinger or some type of reference. Just enough, you know. But, yeah, there's this symbiotic relationship. They play into each other. So Culture is a, you know... Uh, commentary on the time. All right, so let's say this. We got, you know, we're, we've talked a little bit about this. And the thing is, the issue, too, is when does politics start to strip away culture? Well, that's an interesting that, thing. That's, that's a whole other thing I, All I right, want to talk let's, about. Let's, let's, let's dive in there for a few minutes. politics comes into direct conflict with culture. Okay. So, and the thing is, is this is going to be very unpopular. But where does it become, you know, culturally, I can't, you know, I don't know. Wear underwear in public. I, I'm trying to think of something. So what would be what would be considered a taboo, basically? Yeah, and then where politics tries to, you know, force something that is not culturally acceptable upon you, or might be culturally relevant in one part of the country and not another. Yep. Um, I, I'm trying to. Well, think. there was the issue. So one of the things which um, I, I forget when it was. It's almost about ten years ago. Is when the Supreme Court ruled on the constitutionality, I guess, of, of gay, gay marriage, right? Oh, right, right, right. And people uh, yeah. were like, this should have been something that was a legislation. And then, look, look, let's take a, a side for a second. It, it, to me, it's completely absurd that two people, whether they're men, man, women, women, men, women, whatever, uh, were, were not allowed to, to be married. It's, if you it's can get the ludicrous. tax benefits, do whatever you like, can. Well, and even, I'm all for it. Yeah, I mean, pr- practically, there's benefits to it, but like, why would you deny two people, you know, the opportunity right. to spend? Their, it's fucking, it's crazy. These the people are just to regret- be miserable together for the rest of their lives. And 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 this is honestly a topic for another conversation. Is now let's talk about the triangulation between culture, politics, and religion. Oh no, absolutely. And the thing is, is it's kind of like we have to, you know, the whole culture thing. It's like because the religious thing drives me fucking nuts. Oh. Take your religion, take your religion. Now I'm going to get a little angry. Shove it up. I, I'm sorry. Don't, don't, I don't, right. believe what you want to believe. Right. Don't impose it on me. No, right, and the whole thing is, is everyone has cultures that are sometimes not linkable with the political structure. And do, does the politics have to respect those cultural differences, or do they have to move forward with a larger political ideal? You know, kind of like, like, they have to respect well, it. Well, well, no, but like the U.S., remember the melting pot? Yeah. You know, but then you start hearing later on it's a melting pot that never melted. You know, were people assimilating or were we discounting their own cultural influences? Well, no, I think what happened was people, but 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 I think what the U.S. did really well is they they did deliberately deliberately assimilate people into right. in, into the U.S. culture by providing you know job training. They they intentionally 
brought people into pockets. So that's why if you go to Detroit, there's large portions of Yugoslavians, right? right. Former, uh, I, sh- I don't say Yugoslavians, uh, people from the former Yugoslavia, right? Like there's a large Albanian population right. in Detroit. You go to California, there might be large Laotian populations or Vietnamese populations. Right. You go to Florida, there might be, you know, other, other you know, countries that, that are represented. My point is they've assimilated, but ultimately they've, they've been accepted in U.S. culture, but they they still stay within pockets. I mean, there's Chinatown pockets. with their own pockets. Yeah, with their own pockets, right? right? And at what time does culture conflict with politics? That that's that becomes the bigger thing, you know, like with the statues. That's a southern cultural thing. It's stupid. I think it's just flat racist. But that's conflict with the politics of the politics of let's remove these statues. Well, there's nothing good from these. Things. Well, let's talk about this in sequence, real quick. So, the, the at the same time, the culture of you know the people in their churches. Oh, gay marriage is wrong. Well, stop your shit. It's not really exactly that. That's you what know, I'm saying. Where is the balance? It's just like people want to use culture. Where's the balance? It's whoever yeah. has the political power. Power, yeah. But yeah. people want to use culture as a way to try to get out of stuff. Sometimes your opinion or your culture is just not compatible. With the overarching political theme. Well, that's just it. There's you. You're most of the time. These arguments we hear is they're predicated on some sort of like cultural norm or normative behavior or some sort of like religious doctrine, right. and that's used as justification for why the party believes or adopts the platform right. that they do. Okay, but to your point, you you have you know platform A based on religious doctrine A, but somebody else. Since it has a sincerely held belief for something diametrically different, right, right. so why is yours pre? Why does yours take prominence over theirs? Right. Well, it's okay to to what you called out earlier. It's maybe yours is ninety percent, yours is ten. Right. There's no policy that's ever been enacted that is going to satisfy one hundred percent of the people. Right. There's just not. Right. But it's whoever has the political power. And by the way, that is, you know, I'm not, I don't. I, I never thought I'd quote Milton Friedman, but here we are. He's that, still alive. No, he died. Probably 20 years ago? Really? Okay. He's from University of Chicago, right? He was. His whole thing was political freedom or political power was directly linked to economic power, right? Right. And so basically, you could not be economically powerful as an individual, right? I'm not talking about as a corporation, but as an individual, unless you had political power. And if you think about it, all those people that are billionaires, right? Which came first, the money or the politics? Which helped them become successful? Right. Yeah. But but why why is it? Why would any billionaire ever give a shit about who wins an election for you know a state rep or for for governor? Why would you care? You're worth billions. Who gives a shit? Go why? Right. Because they enact policies that are favorable uh, to your current business interests. Right. 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 Which is why we have fucking people polluting. We don't care about, you know, remediation of, you know, air pollution or any of that bullshit. We say we do. Yeah, carbon offset yeah. credits. What a scam that Listen, is. people have ideals until it inconveniences them. I had a professor one time. We'll close out. I'll, 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 yeah. I'll close out on this and then obviously, no, yeah, however it. you want to close out. I had a professor one time. This was in college. It was a supply chain management class. I have no idea how we got on the topic of recycling. Like recycling, like, you know, take your plastic bottle, put it in. Right. You know. He's like, recycling is good. It's fine. But he's like, 
doesn't really solve the problem. We're not getting at the root of the problem. Recycling is like a guy cheating on his wife five days a week and he scales it back to two. It's like it helps. It helps. But you're still cheating. Right. Still doesn't address the problem. So, yeah, I don't know. Where was I going with that? Why did I say that? No, I know until it inconveniences you. I, I was. Just oh, the recycling. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. That, that's where I was going with it. It's true because there was a study. I'm not even going to try to pull it up on Google because I don't even know where I could find it. But I, I remember there was a study. I read about it in The Economist. I was in college actually, and it basically said that you know, eighty percent of people agreed with the idea of recycling and right. why it's good. But less than 15% actually wanted to be inconvenienced with doing the recycling. Yeah, it's kind of like we believe in lower carbon emissions. I'm not getting on public transit. Yeah, I'm going to buy a bigger this. car. I'm, I'm going to buy a bigger car. I'm not. I'm going to sit on that trip seven instead of no, the air. No, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, just, you know, there's a lot of hypocrisy out there. But, yeah, we just wanted to touch base on culture and politics. I, I, I feel I really want to get into this whole later on, later episodes. Video games, books. I, I want to bring out some more specific examples of how there's been cultural shifts, political shifts, and that's influenced mainstream, you know, entertainment or whatever. I just think it's interesting. I like that. They go hand in hand. They do. They well, influence each other. <clears throat> the next time you're watching TV, a movie, reading a book, playing a video game, just even walking and looking at signage and just yeah. how things are. I mean, something as simple as sidewalks. There's no fucking sidewalks in Florida. Right. That's a culture and politic thing. You know what? You know why there's no sidewalks? There's fucking state income tax. Right. No money for no, infrastructure. Right. right. That's a cultural thing. That was a cultural thing. We need less services. We're fine with this. We don't need this out. We'll drive. It is what it is. Anyway, Whatever. until next time, we appreciate all of you. If you like what you hear, like what you see in these little clips, please hit the subscribe button, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care now. <laughs>